Good morning, church. Haven't seen you since last year. In a while. I've uh, been on vacation for a couple of weeks, and it's good to be back with you. Um, it's always interesting for my kids, you know, when we go on vacation. It's like, what do you mean we're not going to church? What does that mean? So uh, we go to places like the Crystal Cove over in Newport Beach and check out the tide pools and all those things they don't often get opportunity to do. And so it's good just being out there in God's creation and seeing some beautiful things. But uh, I bring you good news today, not just the good news of God's Word, but the good news that we have, uh, we have found a young adult pastor. And uh, so we're excited about that. I'm excited there's no more search committee meetings, so that's a good thing. But uh, his name is Pablo, and we're going to put his picture on the screen of he and his wife, Pablo and Erica. Uh, Ariza is their last name. There he is right there. <laughs> Through the Lord's mercies, he's given us Pablo and Erica. And uh, they're just coming back from Andrews. And uh, in fact, when we interviewed them, uh, they had just driven, arrived the night before and interviewed them the next day. And uh, Pablo graduated from La Sierra University and spent some time after that at Loma Linda Spanish Church and then uh, went to Andrews and has now come back. So uh, we're looking forward to having him. His responsibilities will be the same as Pastor uh, Saul, and he will do young adults and facilities administration. And anything else I ask him to do, he'll do. <laughs> I made him sign on the dotted line about that one. Just, and anything Feedy tells him to do, and anything Isaac tells him, no, just kidding. Um, he's the new guy on the block, so, uh, but great guy, um, met with our board Thursday night and a unanimous vote to invite him to come. So he will be joining us this next week. He will be in the office and starting to get things going this week. And we will officially introduce he and Erica to you uh, next Sabbath on the 21st. And then uh, we are going to give him the opportunity to preach on the 28th so you can hear his heart and hear the passion that he has for God's kingdom here on earth. And so we'll look forward to that uh, together. But we're looking forward to having them here in Cala Mesa. We are, we're blessed to have them. So that's, uh, that's some good news, amen? amen? So God is good. All and all the time, God is good. Let me depress you for a while. <laughs> I want to talk about economics a little bit this morning. And uh, some of you, as you start the new year and you think about uh, maybe the funds... Uh, maybe some of you are on a fixed income and, uh, you know, the investments aren't bringing back the return you'd planned on and there's a little less coming back to you. And as some of you are planning for retirement, you've been looking at your portfolio or not and uh, wondering either what happened to it, where'd it go, uh, or what's it going to do for me this year or not, and so on and so on. And it's, uh, it's quite interesting. So I decided to have a good laugh this week as I was thinking about the sermon and I went on the web and I was wondering what our current national debt was. And uh, <laughs> believe me, this will get positive. Uh, but I want to put up on, on the screen here uh, the website that I went to. And uh, this is uh, called the U.S. Debt Clock. And uh, don't you love that the numbers are just constantly changing? They continue to increase. So if you look at the U.S. national debt over here on the left side, the big one, we got like 15 trillion, 231 billion, 146 million, 300, and I can't say it because now it's 400,000, and it just kind of keeps increasing. Um, if you go towards the middle of the screen, it just says U.S. total debt, big red numbers, 56 trillion, 477 billion, 876 million, 100, and you can't keep up with that either because that keeps climbing, 
and all these numbers are changing. So we have a problem. <laughs> Therein lies our problem. Economics and economy. Now, you know, it's interesting. I wonder, for those of you who are economists in the crowd, if you could tell me really what the word economy means. I had a great time just finding all kinds of jokes online about economists and the economy and all these different things. And, but when you look at the word economy, it actually comes from a Greek word. And it's two words that are put together. One word, oikos, which means house or home. And another word, which is namos, which means law or rule. And so when you put the two words together, you get our word for economy, which is the law of the house or the rule of the house. And when you look at how we look at economy today, usually it's always about what? Money. Because money makes the world what? Go round, right? And so the rule of the house, it often seems the, the, the rule or the law of the land of economy is money, money, money. If it's not profitable, why do it? If it's not going to make you money, why do it? Well, I have good news, I promised you. And that is that uh, Jesus came and taught about a different type of economy. An economy that was otherworldly that he wanted to bring to this earth. And he talked to somebody who was quite interested in the economy in his day and age. It's in Matthew chapter 9. I want to look at this, this little narrative of a man called Levi or Matthew. And Jesus was about doing his business, bringing about the kingdom of God here on earth through his life and his ministry. And he comes here in Matthew chapter 9, and we find it. And of course, Mark writes about it and Luke writes about it. But I want to look at, at this account in Matthew because there's something that Matthew has that the other two don't have. And so Jesus has been doing miracles. He recently um, healed two demon-possessed men. He forgives a paralytic, and the paralyzed person is healed. And then following this call on Matthew's life, he also restores a girl to life and, and heals a woman. So it's interesting that within this context of all these healings is the call of Matthew, the tax collector. And so many scholars say, why is this passage right here in the middle of these healings that are going on? And so I think we'll find out here in a minute. It says in verse 9 that as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Now if you read the other accounts in Mark and Luke, you'll find out that this is at Matthew's house and that Matthew, after deciding to leave the tax office and the tax business, he followed Jesus and had this special dinner for Jesus at his home. And he invited all of his really nice friends, all the tax collectors. Now, I love, one of my favorite chapters in the book, The Desire of Ages, is the chapter that Ellen White writes about the call of, of Matthew. And she says that tax collectors were the vilest of society. You know, you don't hear that word too much in today's day and age. You know, that person is so vile. But when you think of vile and you think of the most vile people in society, in Jesus' day and age, you had to think of tax collectors. They just were... Nobody liked them because ultimately they were kind of working for, for Rome. 
and the, the, the authorities. And so they were like traitors, and they were ripping off their own people because what they would do, like Matthew here, is they would, they would pay a flat fee for this area, which in this place was Capernaum, and they would pay that to the government, and then they would charge people whatever they wanted on top of that. So not only were they working for the authorities, they were rip, ripping off their own, their own people. And so if the tax was a dollar, you could say it's five bucks and make an extra four to your own people. Vile, wouldn't you say? The vilest of society. And so Matthew throws this special dinner for Jesus at his home. And I love that it doesn't say, and he invited his small group or he invited his closest friends. Behold, many of the vilest people in society were there with Jesus and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then, this is what Matthew adds, and it starts with my favorite word in the Bible. But go and learn what this means. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I desire mercy. You know, what does God desire? God desires mercy. Mercy, not sacrifice. And so Jesus comes to this tax collector, the vilest of all society, and as he's going by his booth there, as he's collecting money from people, Jesus says, Matthew, let me teach you about a whole nother economy that life is about. It's not all about money. It's about mercy. And what I love is that there's this detail here where after Jesus says, follow me, it says, so he arose and followed him. Who cares that he stood up and walked away? Why is that there? Many New Testament scholars say this is a resurrection word. He arose. When you look at the healing miracles around this passage, people arose, people got up, people had new life. And so Matthew found new life in the economy of mercy. In the rule of the house, Jesus says, the rule of my house is not money. The rule of my house is mercy. In the kingdom of God, money doesn't make the world go around. Mercy makes the world go around in the kingdom of God. Mercy. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. It's interesting to me, as I reflect on Ephesians and a passage that I'm sure many of us might reflect on and, and focus on the grace of God. The Apostle Paul reminds us, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. In Ephesians chapter 2. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were, capture, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. You were living in the, the economy of this world. You were living the rule of the house of this world was sin. But, in verse 4, there's my favorite word again, but God, who is rich in mercy, rich in mercy, 
because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus Christ came and he said, you don't have to live in the economy of the world anymore. You don't have to live in what the world says is the rule of the house when you live here on earth. I have come. I am rich in mercy. You can live under my economy, under the rule of my house, and the rule of my house is mercy. Mercy. No matter where you've been or what you've done or what you're wrestling with, you will find mercy under my rule. I loved uh, every night when we put our kids to bed, you know, we'll, we'll sing and pray and we'll talk about things in the day and stuff. And I loved it. Just recently I was, um, I was talking to my son and we were kind of just dreaming, kind of talking about heaven, you know, when Jesus comes back. It would be great to, great to see Jesus and stuff. And, and we were saying, what are some things you're looking forward to when Jesus comes back and and in heaven, and, and of course, there's all kinds of things. And I loved one of the things he said. It just caught me off guard. He says, and there's not going to be any taxes in heaven. <laughs> and I went, man, you're 13. <laughs> this is great. And then I realized, because, you know, they're at an age where they save money for things, you know, and they find out what the price is it, on it. And then the, the cruel reality is, is that that's not really all that it costs. There's tax on that, right? And so there's no tax in heaven. Yes, that's so true. But you know what's so cool is that heaven, because of the presence of God, is happening now in our lives. It's happening because God's rule is active and can rule over our lives, and the rule of God's house is mercy. Isn't it good to know that God's house is all about mercy? You know, I get a little saddened sometimes when I hear this. The church is a business. And I, it, just, it just kind of breaks my heart. Because, yes, there are business decisions to be made in the church. We must be wise stewards. But the church, I don't think Jesus came down here to start a business. Jesus came down here to reveal his mercy and to pour out his mercy. And the minute the church becomes a business, we're in trouble. Because it's about God's mercy ruling in his house. I love the words from Lamentations. It is because of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great, great, Jeremiah says, great is thy faithfulness because of the Lord's mercies. Micah reminds us that there are three things that we're supposed to do as God's people. To act justly, to love what? Mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You know, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, the rule of the house will be motivated by hurt or bitterness 
or anger or self-preservation or you fill in the blank. But if God's ruling the house, it's always an economy of mercy. Always an economy of mercy, of compassion, and of love. And that's what this table is here today. This table is about an economy of mercy. The body and the blood of Jesus Christ come and died and rose again for us that we would receive mercy. That we could have mercy new every morning. Great is his faithfulness to us. That no matter what frustrations I fight in the core of my inner being, that no matter what tensions I feel, no matter what's been done to me in the past or what will be done to me in the future, I find mercy in the house of God. And that the house that I might have rule over in my own house with my family or maybe in at work or maybe my relationships at school or in commerce around us in the community, I don't have to rule those things with anger. I don't have to rule them from a core of being hurt or of pain. But as I experience the mercy of God, I can, by his grace, rule my house with mercy as well and live under his economy. Today we celebrate the economy of mercy. Today we celebrate God's goodness of lavishly pouring out his grace and his love and his compassion to us. And so as we continue this time of rejoicing in his people, rejoicing that we live under a rule of mercy, that the law of God's house is mercy, we join in the ordinance of humility together to walk humbly with our God, proclaim his mercy and his justice in our life. And so we bow at one another's feet to say we're all equal at the foot of the cross. We're all in need of God's mercy together. And so we're going to separate in a minute to celebrate that together in the ordinance of humility. And, and uh, the couples and families can meet in the fellowship hall. And the, the men can meet in the primary room. And the ladies can meet in the junior room. But there's something else that we like to do on the first communion of the year as well. To my left, we have some votive candles. You'll see some of them lit. And we want to give you an opportunity that maybe this past year you lost a friend or a loved one. And today during this time of remembering God's mercy, you would like to come and just light a candle during this time to remember their life and in honor of them and your love for them. And so we invite you to do that during this time of the ordinance of humility. And then we will rejoin together as God's people in his house to celebrate and partake of the economy of mercy of God's body and blood shed for us as he's asked us to do to remember him. So I want to invite you at this time to participate. And if you decide to stay here to reflect and to meditate, you are welcome as well to do that. God bless you. I'd like to share with you from the Acts of the Apostles. It reads, when we study the divine character in the light of the cross, we see mercy tenderness, and forgiveness blended with equity and justice. We see in the midst of the throne one bearing in hands and feet and side the marks of the suffering endured to reconcile man to God.
we see a father, infinite, dwelling in light, unapproachable, yet receiving us to himself through the merits of his son. The cloud of vengeance that threatened only misery and despair and the light reflected from the cross reveals the writing of God. Live, sinner, live. Ye penitent, believing souls, live. I have paid a ransom. In the contemplation of Christ, we linger on the shore of a love that is measureless. We endeavor to tell of this love and language fails us. We consider his life on earth, his sacrifice for us, his work in heaven as our advocate, and the mansions he is preparing for those who love him. And we can only exclaim, Oh, the height and depth of the love of Christ. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. I invite you to take the bread, symbolic of Christ's body, lived, broken, and risen again for you. Take a moment in just silent prayer to contemplate Christ's life for you. Scripture reads, The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. invite you now to take the cup, symbolic of the blood of Jesus Christ given for us. Take a moment in silent prayer to contemplate Christ's lifeblood for you. In the same manner, Scripture says, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. There is a psalm that asks us to do several things as a people of God. It says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. 
Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. And then the final verse of this psalm, Psalm 100, tells us why we as the people of God are doing these things. And the psalmist says, For the Lord is good, and his mercy is everlasting. And his truth endures to all generations. God is good. And all the time, God is good. Praise God that the rule of his house is mercy. The economy of mercy has come to us in Jesus Christ. And he invites us to live under his rule of mercy and to live out his mercy in the relationships that we have. Praise God. Can take a dying man and raise him up to life again. What can heal a wounded soul? What can make us white as snow? What can fill the emptiness? What can mend our brokenness? Brokenness. Yeah. 
sharing today reminds us that no matter who you are, no matter what hurt, no matter what wound, no matter what anger, no matter what, God comes to you with mercy. He loves you. He lavishes you. He longs for you and he never regrets loving you. There are people in our lives who need mercy. No matter how we've been treated, God says, show them my mercy. Show them my compassion and love them for me. May God's grace be with us as we live under his rule of mercy and live out his rule of mercy. God bless you. Amen.